Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Heather Ryer. She's the founder and CEO of Cake Beauty. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Gabrielle Opals, co-founder of Haven Spa. Hope you enjoy the episodes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so happy to be sitting with Heather Ryer. She is the founder and CEO of Cake Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you, Jody. Happy to be here. So this has been several months in the making. It huh? has. I know. I think we first spoke last January. It was cold out. That's all I know. And yeah. we had such a great conversation. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad you were able to make it to New yeah. York to join me on the yeah, show today. Too. So um, I want to dive into all the amazing things that we talked about in our Mm -hmm. pre-interview, but let's start with one of my favorite questions, which is, how are you going to spend the day today? So today, after this, I'm going to go to a Walgreens store and take some video because we have new product launching there this month, and then I'm headed to the airport, back to Toronto. Oh, how many days have you been here in New York? Since yesterday, Mm -hmm. two days. And what did you do with your time? Desk size. Mm -hmm. Met with the media yesterday on some new products we're launching, so it was great. Yeah. Do you have to do a lot of prep for those days? Um, not so much because I know the products inside and out. So it's usually a great conversation. The editors are always so lovely. So it's not it's not not so bad. Yeah. You have um, some of the products sitting in front of us now, mm-hmm. and it smells really good in here. Of course. <laughs> Would you expect anything less from cake? It's a nice touch. <laughs> um, so let's um, let's talk about you. That this is what today's okay. interview is all about. Um, you started your business over fifteen years ago. Right. Why? Um, a couple couple reasons. I saw a niche in the market. I wanted to create a brand of beauty products that combined, you know, natural nourishing, cruelty-free, which 15 years ago was not a thing at all. Nobody cared. And anything that was natural nourishing, vegan, smelled terrible and was ugly, 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 right? So I wanted to combine that concept with girly, sassy, and fun. So, you know, ignorance is bliss. And I hit the kitchen and started mixing it up myself. And, you know, with the intent of creating a business. So it wasn't one of those stories like, you know, I make amazing raspberry jam and suddenly it's a business. No, I did it to create a business and take it to the market. What were you doing before that? Um, while I started Cake, I was working at Roots Canada, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with. Yeah, sure. Yeah. An apparel company. They're apparel, mm-hmm. Yeah, Canadian apparel company and retail operations with them. So mm-hmm. your whole career was in fashion before this? Um, and before Roots, I was working for a company that owned and operated hair salons. So kind of in the beauty beauty space a little bit, but I was in operations with them. And uh, yeah, so then I went on to Roots. And while I was at Roots, started dabbling in the kitchen. So what does operations mean at a job like Roots or at the salons? Um, the retail stores operations. So managing, you know, coordinating marketing with, you know, supply chain, design. So I would imagine that as you do business with Walgreens and other retailers, that this comes second nature to you at this point. Yeah, but it's all, it's like a learning thing for sure, because it was different when you're operating your own retail stores, like with, with Roots, versus dealing with buyers, shelf space, how you fit in, retails, things like that. So um, 15 years ago, you're cooking this up as a business. Yes. What made you think that this would be a viable business? I, you know what, it was intuition, really. I thought... I want this. My friends seem to want this. It was just, and I think a lot of businesses start that way. It's just, I see a niche. There's nothing else out there like it. Why doesn't it exist? So it just, it was, I just really, at the beginning, I just had a feeling that it was going to work. Are you that positive in most aspects of your life? 
Um, I think so. I'm kind of a glass half full person. Always look on the upside. Um, because I think if he didn't, when I was running the business, I'd be, I often say, under my desk in the fetal position going, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. You know, there's always an upside to everything. So I think if you don't approach it with positivity, it's kind of, you're putting that out into the universe, you know, that it's going to come back and, and work out. So yeah, it's kind of how I, I approach most things. I, um, find it's very easy to be half glass full when there's money in the bank. <laughs> Those times in my business when there haven't yes. been money in the bank, it feels really impossible. You know what? I, I, I've been there, believe me. There, you know, the business ups and downs over the years. But I always felt like it could be worse. You know, it could be worse. And so, you know, although there, there you know, lots of times when it was tough and there was no money in the bank and holy crow, it's payroll on Friday. And what are we going to do? I guess I'm not getting paid again. You know, the, you know those years, they do happen. Um, but you know, the business is still around. People loved it. Um, and I often used to even go to a place of, well, at least I've got my health. It sounds it sounds a little cliche, but I always did. Well, what's the worst that can happen here? You know, so not to say that there weren't stressful times and you're thinking, holy crow, but it was either, well, get through this, get up and keep going or close it up, you know? Right. So um, as an entrepreneur, I often think about that. Like, I have two options. I can mm -hmm. just keep moving forward, yep. even if it's uncomfortable and doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Or I could just stop. But yeah. stopping doesn't feel like an option. No. No, it didn't. It never was an option. Absolutely wasn't an option. It was like, it was a succeed and hit the, hit the, hit the goal or nothing. You're right. And I think that's something that all entrepreneurs have in common. You just, because at the very heart of it, there's a resilience that I think all entrepreneurs have. If you don't have it, it's never going to work. You got to just, success is the only is the only option. And success might look different for you than it is for me. And it's not always a pile of money in the bank. It's It could be other things too. Yeah. I had a moment of clarity um, at the food store um, like a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a friend who asked me how work was going and yeah. it wasn't going, maybe it's two years ago, it wasn't mm -hmm. going that great yeah. or it wasn't meeting my expectations or whatever I thought it should be. And I was working a lot and not making a lot of money. And I said that to her and then I'm like, wait a minute, but if the money was the most important thing, I would have just gotten a job somewhere. Right. And I, like, in the food store in, like, yes. the soup aisle or something, I realized this is not about the money. Like, no. I am so wealthy in freedom. Yes. I'm wealthy in other things um, that it's not, it, that's not the goal for me. It's not. And it changed my perspective on a lot of stuff. Yeah. And did it help you kind of move move forward and get through this difficult time easier and more yes. successfully probably? Absolutely. Yeah. Like once I release this pressure on myself that like mm -hmm. success for me equals mm -hmm. money, which I, I, I guess I was just in my head thinking it did, but mm -hmm. in my heart it really didn't. Yeah. Um, once I was able to break through that, everything changed. Everything. And then the money comes. Absolutely. Interestingly And the enough. better work and the better partners and, and the team. Yes. Everything because the pr perspective changes. I couldn't agree more. It's amazing how little money matters and, unless you, you can't pay your bills. That's, I mean, fine. But it's amazing, you know, how, how little that means because we don't think we, we don't do it for the money, right? Right. I, I, um... I was so grateful I had that moment, and it's mm -hmm. like it's etched in my brain. Yeah. So I was going back through our notes that, yeah. of the conversation we had really m many months ago, and um, there were so many things I'm reading. Like, wow, like this was free therapy for me talking <laughs> to you. Um, so many, so many different parts of um, like when you were looking back and looking at mistakes or challenges. Uh -huh. um, 
And one of the ones you spoke about with me was splitting up with a business partner. Right. Um, so walk us through, you know, how this got started with a partner and how it, it evolved. Yeah, it w- was um, early on that she um, departed the business. And it was a difficult time because she's a brilliant, lovely, great person, very talented. And we started the business together. And we didn't, you know, at like probably a lot of partners, we didn't have a shareholders agreement. And we just had this dream. And we didn't have a clear delineation of who would do what, which I think is don't do that. That That, that was probably a mistake. So shortly after launching, probably within a year and a half or so, um, she decided she wanted to leave the business. And uh, so it was difficult. It was difficult because there was a friendship there and, uh, you know, a partner, which, you know, it's a, you know, lonely at the top by yourself. So there was a huge upside to having a partner at the time. So it was a difficult, difficult time, but I was very committed to sticking it out with the business. I really saw the vision of where the brand could go. And uh, I hunkered down and and did it. No partner. So I'm reading this as I'm actually having conversations with a friend mm-hmm. from um, my um, relationships here mm-hmm. in beauty about starting a business together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is really timely that uh-huh, I'm rereading that, right? Yes. Um, and, of course, think that um, having defined roles is probably one of the mm-hmm. – um, the best measures of having success with a partner. I'm yep. a solo entrepreneur now, so this would be like mm-hmm. totally new territory mm-hmm. for me. So, um, what you know, even for like super early stage businesses that mm-hmm. are listening to this, like what should they write out? What's like the most important things to have on paper and signed? I think, I mean, obviously a shareholders agreement through a lawyer, but beyond that, like to have a really honest discussion of what you each bring to the business. And I think it's often not clear at the very beginning, because if you have two people um, that both love the spotlight and I want to, the accolades and I want to get out there, that might be a little bit of a challenging dynamic and the ego can get in the way. You know, ideally if it's I think the most successful partnerships kind of that I've looked at from afar is usually one is an individual that's maybe more of an introvert, a little bit more a back office person. Both the, both partners are equally strategic in where the business needs to go. And the other one is maybe the one that brings a little bit more color to the to the energy of the brand and the company and they balance each other out. And one does focuses on things that perhaps the other could do but doesn't want to do. So I think definitely having those honest conversations. And because it's often, I think, in any relationship in business and work at all, you're attracted to people who are like you. You you like working with people that are act like you, talk, behave like you. But sometimes, you know, I think in a partnership situation, that can be a recipe for success. That's actually not what you want. So, um, you know, you know, we get along so well. We're just the same. We have the same perspective. Um, can be dangerous, I think. Okay, this is good advice for me yeah. as I start to think yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, um, you know, fast forward ahead, mm-hmm. you were business started in your kitchen, then you got acquired right. by a giant corporation. Yeah. Okay. What was in between <laughs> those spaces? <laughs> Nothing much. No. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of things. I mean, I almost sold the company twice before. Um, thank goodness I didn't, because it's so clear how that wouldn't have been the right right fit for me. Um, so between that, you know, I started with Bath and Body Products, then went into hair care, so expanded the category, um, changed the distribution model. Um, from from what to what? From part of me, yeah, from. Independence. It started with independent beauty boutiques to, um, you know, a higher end. It was at a retailer called Holt Renfrew in Canada, which is kind of like your Saks Fifth Avenue, a very high, you know, 
poshy retail store, and the, the price point for cake was quite high at the time. So from there, you know, took it down to, and at the time too, when I went into um, like a whole run for, you know, I would be on the floor selling the products every Saturday, and cake, the cake brand, if you can imagine, was among Guerlain and all the, you know, the lovely poshy brands, and it was quite. I hate this word because I think it's over overused, but it was quite disruptive in a way to see a brand like this in an environment. And it worked really well. So I was able to connect with c- customers. They were ready to see a brand like that in that environment. And then went from uh, Holt Renfrew to Sephora, took the price point down a little bit. And even when I entered Sephora, there weren't a lot of indie feeling brands. It worked really well and they carved out a niche. And then from there went to like a shopper's drug mart, Walgreens boots model, which we're in now, which is, um, you know, everything in, in the U.S. here is $8.99, a really accessible price point. So that changed a lot. Um, lots of innovation, lots of ups and downs with the business, gain, gaining accounts, losing accounts, a couple babies, a marriage, Lots. <laughs> How old are the babies now? Uh, nine and seven. Oh, cool. Such yeah, a fun age. They are. It's great. Yeah, really good. So um, let's talk about these price shifts because mm-hmm. that's actually something entrepreneurs ask a lot mm-hmm. um, when they meet with my team. Um, and um, they're scared, mm-hmm. right? People are scared to change prices. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, going from a Saks level department store level mm-hmm. all the way to eight ninety nine mm-hmm. a piece. Um, what was your thinking around that and what gave you the courage to make those changes? Yeah, you know, funny enough, I don't even see it as, it wasn't frightening to me at all. And I don't even know if it was courage other than, um, you know, making sure the margin would allow for it. So as the business grew, the economies allowed it to happen. That was exactly sort of, I mean, I won't pretend back with the, the whole Renfrew days that I, that I had that clear vision. Exactly what's going to happen in 2013 is this. But I did know... I thought what was really compelling is to be able to position cake in an environment where we stood out and looked a little bit different. So I was, I was, and, and be able to get the products in the hands of as many people as possible. So it made a lot of sense for me to start very um, less accessible to make it feel a little bit uh, more prestige in terms of the, the brand vibe. But I always had an intent of bringing it down into a more different distribution channel. And I think also following the trends of the market, people are shopping differently, obviously, than they did 10 years ago with the high and low sort of vibe. You don't buy everything that you're wearing at Saks Fifth Avenue, you pair it with a Target skirt or, or whatever. I think that's just how people are changing. And I just wanted to get cake, you know, that visibility into, you know, a wider audience. So when you named the brand, mm-hmm. I'm kind of shocked that cake was available as a trademark name. What a, I know, right? <laughs> it's funny because I don't actually remember any other names in the running. So, you know, it's funny. I've never actually contemplated that because it was probably, again, the positivity. Well, of course it's going to be free. Why wouldn't it be free? And it was free. So, um, because there weren't any other names. In it's the, really astounding. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. All the, like, mm-hmm. nouns are taken, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to, like, take nouns and mix them with other mm-hmm. n- nouns or fake mm-hmm. fake spellings, right, <laughs> to be able to get something trademarked yeah. these days. Yeah. So it's incredible that you were able to find this yeah. nice, pleasant four-letter word that suited available. it so well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice tall K in the middle. Like I, Yeah, the look of it. I loved it. Yeah. Were you um, always this positive as a child? I I think so. I think so. Yeah, I was always um I was always pretty positive that things would work out, that everything was okay. I always 
I mean, gosh, there's a thousand attributes of, that are not great of me, I'm sure. But I, there was always a sense of, and it's just compounded as I've gotten older, like gratitude. Like, I'm so lucky that I have this, not that. Things could be this versus that. Like, I have, you know, so I think so. And I think I'm more and more now as an adult pretty positive. And um, is your team representative of this positivity, the team in the office? Yes. Yeah, really. I mean, pretty. The, the energy in the office is very positive, um, very collaborative. It's nice. It's nice. I mean, not that. I mean, there are days, of, of course, where everybody feels like they're ready to pull their hair out. And and you know, not to say that I'm always positive because there's lots of times this is never going to work. This is you know, you have moments of that. But when you can kind of dial it back, um, I think it's important because I think. You know, we're we're doing this is you know serious business, but is it? I mean, we're not you know solving world hunger here. So I think if you get it in perspective, then you're more positive, and then ironically, the business follows and everything else sort of falls into place without you know you can't you can't be too nuts about it. So that um, idea of perspective has been really important to me, mm-hmm. um, not just with like the running of the business, but how I spend my time in my business mm-hmm. um, as it impacts my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, realizing that like my goal through my work is just to spend more time with my family, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you balance these two things? I balance it, yeah. I mean, especially now since the since the acquisition um, two years ago, um, I'm able to even balance it a little bit more because it's very clear. There's this lucky lucky for me. There's a really fantastic, robust team that supports the day to day. So I'm less involved with the nuances, which is which is great. So it allows me to, you know. Be at actually, sadly, I'm missing my son's track meet today for you, but don't worry, there's another one. But I'm able to be. <laughs> there's many other ones, and they're, they're all very long. They're all very long. I've never been. This is the first year he's joined the the cross country team. Anyways, but I'm you know I'm able to participate in that and be be home when I can be home and and you know so it's because I also think and I don't know if you do too, but the better I am at if I'm able to take time for both, I'm better at both like motherhood and, mm-hmm. and work. So, um, you know, it wasn't always like that, certainly. The last few years have, you know, I've been able to have that flexibility. But um, it's important to balance it out because these, I mean, these little people are everything, right? So um, do you ever find yourself getting sucked back into the details, like the minutia? Like, does your body, like, pull you in and suck you into it and you realize, oh, wait, I don't need to be involved in this anymore? Not anymore, but... If, like shortly after the acquisition, the first year after the acquisition, for sure, it was like it was bizarre to me not to know what's coming in, what's this, what's that. like I, 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 you know, there, I think I was feeding off like all of the nuances and the details of the business, everything. I mean, because I used to look at, I mean, the you know, cash and everything constant. It was just something. It was a habit I got into early on, right? So um, it was difficult, sort of pulling it back, and it was an interesting dynamic because I wanted to pull back, but I couldn't. You know what I mean? So it took some time. So now, you know, almost two years post, um, I'm able to kind of get into the, the the details to the level that I want to. Um, and it's been better for me because you probably know, like, you're more creative when you're not, you know, in the muck as much. So, so. I, um, 
I did a pretty good job, like, about two years ago getting out of the minutiae. Mm-hmm. And I, like, literally, like, the first week I tried doing this, I sat on my hands like this God. at my desk. Yeah, yeah, smart. And, um, because I'm like, I don't need to respond to this email. Yeah. So-and-so is going to take care of it. Maybe they're not going to take care of it, like, as quickly as I would or exactly the way I would. But I sat on my hands for a while, and then it really worked. And then this summer, we were, like, so crazy busy mm-hmm. that I got, like, caught back up in the minutiae. Yeah. And I just, like, realized a few weeks ago, wait a minute, I don't, I don't need to do this. No, no. And I think it's funny that you mentioned um, that somebody was going to do it. Maybe they wouldn't do it the same way you would do it. That is one lesson that I did not learn until the last year or so. And with like with this sort of new organization, organization I was in, and I wish I wouldn't learn. I wish I would have learned it sooner because um, I thought, well, everybody should be doing it the way I do it and responding the way I do it and looking at things the way I'd. And that is, you know, it, and that caused a lot of sort of anxiety and stress in me as I as I ran the business. And then now sort of looking at, you know, these great talented people that are involved in Cake Day Today, they don't really do it the same way I do. Again, it was once I get, got over the adjustment of it all, I think, oh, so there's more ways to do it than just Heather's way. Okay, I you know. So that was that was a really key learning. I wish I would have learned that years ago. It's hard. Um, I think when it's your baby and you've done every job mm-hmm. in the company, yeah. and then you have not just people doing the job, but layers of people doing those jobs. Yep, for sure. Um, it kind of messes with my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. I get it. But um, I, I guess my team didn't need to tell me to leave it alone, but I was able to tell myself mm-hmm. leave it mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Good. That's yeah. great. Yes, really I'm, good. Try to be self aware with this stuff because mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to be in the minutia. It's just. It's so easy to get sucked back in. Yeah. Um, I yeah. want more time for, like you said, having the br- brain space and creative space. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay, let's talk about the marketplace that you're in right now, mm-hmm. in, in the industry marketplace. You have um, strategics inventing their own, like I'll put in quotes, maybe greenwashing, maybe green and clean, not sure, yeah. brands. Um, I don't have super confidence that there's like always truth to these stories mm-hmm. when a strategic just sort of in, invents their own brand. Yep. Um, and you, here you are trying to do your green and clean your way. So tell me about what it feels like to be, you know, focused on your priorities and have all these other players um, come at this from maybe more of a marketing perspective than mm-hmm. a authenticity perspective. Uh, that's a really great question. I, I think I, I try not to put, pay too much attention to it in the sense that let it sort of, you know, throw me or the brand off kilter at all because um, they're always going to be there. They're always going to be, you know, making claims that, you know, I think that's not true, you know. But I guess um, I think I think it's good that there's more regulation, that there's, you know, and people are, their, their feet are being held to the fire on what, you know, what they're trying to do and what, you know, the, the natural claims and vegan claims that they're making. But... Really, you know, what I've learned, and I haven't always been like this, but really just keep an eye on try to what, I, what I'm doing, you know, and not try to focus too much on what all these other guys are doing. Because there's, you're right, a lot of the big, huge um, brands are coming out with independent brands that are meant to feel independent and not part of them. And they've got this sort of vibe to it. And, you know, for, you know, a millisecond, you know, I'm like shocked. And, th- and then, ah, I move on from it. Because there's always going to be tons of us. 
Right. So what are your goals for the brand moving forward? Um, You know, the goals are, you know, to continue with international distribution. We've had a lot of success with that, um, particularly in the last, since the acquisition, which is great. But also expanding the categories, you know, really, which is really exciting for me because, you know, cake at its very heart of it is a brand that's sort of beyond a specific category. We're not a hair brand. We're not a body brand. We're not a makeup necessarily. We're sort of that beauty brand that has that, you know, it's meant to feel, you know, this effortless vibe that I had in my brain when I started in the kitchen. So more categories and more distribution and, you know, really focus on connecting with our consumers in a really authentic way is really important. Sort of the principles of that grassroots you know, philosophy I had at the beginning. So that's sort of what I'm dreaming of. And um, what sort of things do you want to learn now that you have the room in your brain to focus on growing? Uh, that's a great question. You mean in, in business or in anything? I don't know. I mean, I have I have a, a bunch of coaches, a therapist. Like, I feel like I'm I'm not always aware of what the journey is, mm-hmm. but I find myself on all these like sort of awareness journeys, learning journeys in the business, um, skill set b- learnings um, that the universe is giving me. Yeah. Um, sometimes the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I, I like to continue learning, and it's interesting. I've, I've, what I've learned a lot, sort of watching some people that I work with, is how to be a better leader and what that really means, and how to inspire the people around you. Um, I'm not sure. I think some people come by it naturally. Not. Th- I don't know. I'd have to ask people that used to work that work with work with me, but I think it's really important to figure out to learn how to be better at that. So that I want to hone that skill. I'd like to hone my writing skills. I'd like to be a bit of better writer. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Maybe just practice um, and just you know really you know take this time to try to try to be a bit more present and mindful and creative and open and, you know, I'm ready for that. I love the idea of being more mindful mm-hmm. when I have like a thousand things in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and being a better leader, I started thinking about that and have started this exercise of actually sending emails that like are full sentences. So... <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I so like it. I, you know, to our clients, of course, like mm-hmm. full sentences, <laughs> proper grammar. Um, but, you know, when I'm rushing to my team, like mm-hmm. blah, 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 I just shoot off a text or shoot off an email and like, you know, it might not even make sense. Right. right. In my head, it makes sense. And I think that the the smallest thing I can do is take like four more seconds and write out this as if they're a client, right? Um, because they are, right? We're all working together collaboratively and they should receive things that are fully thought out. So I've just started doing that, just taking that, a few more seconds. That is great advice because I think it's easy to take that for granted and, you know, just shoot off a text. But to to the recipient, it feels different if it comes in a different sort of way. That is great. I'm going to do that too. Well, That's I, great. you know, we have clients who also reach out to us over text or however, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. works for them. And when we get a text that was either like, um, you know, like the voice text mm-hmm. where it doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. it didn't pick up the right words, yeah. but like, what does that mean? I'm so confused. So why am I doing that to my team? Yes. Yeah. To be more clear. And yeah. Yeah. And um, as a mom of two kids, I'm wondering um, if when your kids talk to you, are you able to actually like listen to all the words? Sometimes I find myself like totally like zoned out in like a workplace or another place as they're telling me something about this video game and blah, 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 blah. 
I I think that's been like like I kind of touched on a minute ago. Like that's been a big focus of mine. I think you know to try to be really present. I haven't again. I haven't always been, but you know to be really to listen to what to what they say. So I try to do that. Put the phone aside. Listen to what they're saying. And sometimes you can feel your brain going somewhere else and like in kind of zoning back in. But um, I try to. I really try to. I find I'm totally comfortable admitting like I find that when they're talking to me about something that is like another language to me, let's Mm -hmm. say these gamers Mm -hmm. or something related to games Mm -hmm. that I don't Mm -hmm. understand, it's so hard for me to bring it, Mm -hmm. the focus back to that Mm -hmm. because it's, uh, I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, But I like what I'm hearing. Like I have to, I have to make, be mindful about bringing my thoughts back to them because even if I don't understand it, I can still be listening and I could learn, learn, and maybe, and maybe more interested because it's probably because I like you. I mean, there's some things I'm just like this. I don't care about. Like I'm not interested in in whatever. But it's interesting to. It's funny enough. My oldest is big into hockey, like any self-respecting Canadian, right? Um, and I, I remember thinking when he started hockey, I thought, I'm just no. This is. There, I am never going to be into this. This is going to be. I'm going to spend my. And funny enough, like I made myself. We talk about the Leafs, and we talk, and I'm like a for real hockey hockey fan now. So it goes to show, you know, it's interesting. Maybe, like, I took the time to try to figure out his interest and listen to so-and-so's points and -and so-and-so got a breakaway and used to be like, da-da-da-da-da in my brain. And now now I'm into it. Now it's our thing, you know? It's it's, it's interesting how that can happen. Yeah, I think it's, like, the shift between the age they were Mm -hmm. where, like, I was really involved in everything they did, right? Now I'm not involved in much Mm -hmm. because they're much more independent. Mm -hmm. And my husband actually suggested the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. well, pay attention to the things that, you know, mm-hmm. our son likes. Mm-hmm. And he's really into Funko Pops. Do you know what these things are? I don't. They're these plastic collectible characters. I'm sure you've—now that i mentioned it, I'm sure you've seen yeah. them around. okay. So he just, like, has, like, walls of them, collects oh, them. Fun. And um, they each have values, mm-hmm. like— kind of like a sock exchange mm-hmm. kind of value in the Funko world. So, like, I'm trying to find yeah. my way through Funkos, which I'm, is way easier for me than video games. And then in a year from now, you're going to have your own Funko collection. You're That's right. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us thank today. You. It was so great to see your face. Yeah, you as well. Thanks very much. And if you like this interview with Heather, please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.